Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to jump into a story found in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible or smartphone, you can follow along. It's going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And if you've got your Bible or smartphone, you can flip into it. I'm reading out of the NIV version if you want to follow along with that. Uh, all scriptures will be on the screen today, hopefully. Um, so you can follow along there as well. And I got to be honest, as I prepared for today, I really kind of was just like, God, what are you trying to teach me? A lot of times pastors will stand on a stage and they'll say something along the lines of, this may not be for everybody, but I believe that this is for somebody. Anybody ever heard a pastor say that before? Most of us probably have. Well, I'll tell you, if it doesn't apply to you, that's okay, it applies to me today. Is that okay? And a lot of times when I'm preparing to speak, it really out of, is out of a heart of, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? And I feel like when I do that, I'm able to really prepare and, and, and pray through like what to present to you out of just this heart of God, let me grow. Let me learn through not only the process of preparing and the studying that goes into getting ready to come and present God's message, but just in the presentation stuff, I'm like, man, that, that's good, Trevor, because that, that really helps myself. And so today, I hope it's for you. I hope that something I say really kind of just gives you one thing that you can leave here saying, God, I'm gonna focus on being better in this area of my life. And I hope that we can take that journey today. Our story today, I apologize in advance. The media team made fun of me a little bit. I'm gonna read a lot of verses at one time. I don't rarely do that. I don't, I don't love when when pastors do that, but I'm breaking my own rule that I don't love today because I really feel like reading this story together really kind of helps us set the stage for where, where we're going to go today. So we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 18. It's a lot, and here's what else I'm going to say about it. There's a bunch of names in here and places in here that I'm probably going to bomb one or two of them. It's not intentional. I studied. I prepared. I like did the Google thing where you can then press in Google, and it'll like read the name out loud. I did that. I I'm still probably the southernness of my accent doesn't really do well with a ton of these names. So just bear with me. If you want to make fun of me, do so afterwards at lunch when I'm not around. Don't do it to my face, but it's okay. So let's just jump in together. First Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse one, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. When David said to Abithar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abithar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party while I overtake them? 
Pursue them, he, referring to God, answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. First, that sounds terrible. He ate and was revived for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where did you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev and the Kurathites, some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to the raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not hand me over to my master or kill me and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. That was a lot. So let me recap what we just read. It was a lot, and I understand it was a lot. So you have David and this group of men that have been off together, and they come back, and I gotta imagine that they kind of just top this hill, and they look down into the valley where Ziklag has been, and all they see is just kind of smoldering embers because they burned it to the ground, and there's nobody left. There's no bodies, like there's nobody. They're all gone. And I can't imagine the level of grief that the men had as they entered back into Ziklag because everything they've ever owned is obviously gone. And more importantly than that, everyone that they love is also gone. And so they're sitting there and their wives are gone and their kids are gone and they're upset and they're angry. And obviously the only thing that makes sense logically in their head is to now turn and kill David, right? And thank God that David is over here and he's searching out from the heart of God what they should do next. And so God kind of tells David, go after them. And so that's what they do. And then they get to a point where there's 200 of them that are too tired to continue. And I'm gonna get to that in a minute because that's a whole different thing. And then they continue on and they finally get to them and they find the enemy and they kill the enemy and they're able to take back their loved ones, their wives, their children. And it's incredible, right? Like the story is amazing. I feel like this is like the combination of the storyline of Taken where you have Liam Neeson who's like, I have a particular set of skills and I will find you and I will kill you. Like that's David here. Like we're going after him. But I also feel like this is kind of like one of those William Wallace moments that he's there and like, I can't imagine the like, the energy that's brought when David's like, let's go get him, right? Like, it's amazing. Like, I can't, even, I can't even think about how exciting that must have been to all be sitting there and they're like, I got an idea. Let's go get them back. And they're just like on fire of like, let's go. Like, yeah, let's do it. That's what they do. And so today I wanna break down this story over the next little while that we have together. And I got three takeaways. They don't really all necessarily go together. It really is just kind of three things that as I studied this story, that God just kind of threw these things off the page and into my heart. And I wanna share them with you today. And the first of those is that when bad things happen, when we have chaos in our lives, we look for someone or we look for something to blame. That's my first takeaway. We look for something or someone to blame. If we look at verse six there, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. 
Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Some versions there say David strengthened himself in the Lord. And how often are we like this group of men when there's chaos in our life, when something happens in our life, the first thing that we start doing is blaming other people, right? Like, am I the only one? If that's okay, that's okay. Like, that's the truth and that's the truth. But I don't believe that that's the case because I believe that for so many of us in our human spirit and our human nature, it's so easy for us to just start pointing the finger in our marriages. Don't we do that sometimes? We get into an argument we turn to our spouse and we're like, well, if you did this, or if you wouldn't have done that, or if you'd be better at this, or if you'd do this when I said to do this, we do that sometimes, right? Don't elbow your spouse. That's not the time. Don't do that, JR. Portia's laughing because she knows. <laughs> but we do this in our marriages. We, we play the blame game. We, we say, man, if they would just stop doing that, if they would be better at this, Maybe we do it at work, it's our boss's fault, right? It's never my fault, it's my boss's fault. Maybe it's not the boss's fault, but it's the guy who's incompetent in the next office over, right? If he was better at what he did, I wouldn't have to pick up all his slack all the time. Or maybe it's the guy who's just terrible at his job or lazy, who's in the cubicle next to you. I don't, do they even use cubicles now? I don't know, is that like not social distance? I have no idea. I don't have a cubicle, I work here. But we do that. Man, if they would be better at this. We do that in traffic, don't we? Like we're the best driver in the world in our mind, aren't we? Like we're never at fault. It's always the guy in the car next to us. It's his fault. He's a terrible driver. And if you don't believe me what I'm saying, like don't we all think the thought, or maybe it's just me, that when it's raining, don't we always say, nobody knows how to drive in the rain, right? We say things like that. I got some amens there, like, but it's their fault. Like I'm the best driver in the rain ever. I'm perfect at driving in the rain. But man, everybody else in Atlanta don't know how to drive in the rain. It's the blame game. We just point fingers, right? In school, if you're a student in the room, or if you remember when you were a student, the teacher hates you, right? Like the teacher's out to get me. They didn't even teach me what's on the test, right? They want me to fail. They don't want me to succeed. Like we had this test and they never even taught us anything that's on the test. The dog ate my homework. Like it's always someone else's fault, right? Teacher's out to get me. If we look at politics, it's, it's the other side of the aisle, right? If you're a Republican, it's always the Democrat's fault. If you're a Democrat, it's always the Republican's fault. And it's even worse than that now, right? If you're unvaccinated, it's the vaccinated's fault. If you're vaccinated, it's the unvaccinated's fault. If you wear a mask, it's the unmasked. If you don't wear a mask, it's the mask. Like, we're so good at doing this, aren't we? It's his fault. It's her fault. And that leads right into our second thing that we can take away is that in a season of stress, what if we all acted like David and we just turned to God first? Like, think about it. They got back, Ziklag's burned, family's gone. All the men are like, this is his fault. Let's just kill David. I don't know how that's gonna make anything better. Now he's dead, they're still missing. But that's what we're gonna do because it's his fault. But you have one guy and maybe there's another guy that's off to the side and he's just a really good guy too. And he just got left out of the story. But based on scripture, there's one guy that kind of pauses in the chaos and just says, God, what do you want me to do? God, would you want us to go after them? 
Like I can sit here and place blame all day long, but it's not gonna really make a difference. God, what would you have us do? I gotta be honest with you for a second. I'm a fixer. I love to fix problems. I love like if something's broke at my house, like I'm always the guy who's like, if that guy can figure out how to fix it, I'm pretty sure I'm smart enough to figure it out too. Like Home Depot takes advantage of me. Like it's like, we're gonna get him because he's gonna buy things that he doesn't actually know how to use, right? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna fix it. Like there's a whole entire TV network, the DIY network built on like getting suckers like me who's like, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And we do this and I'm a fixer. And I recognize that I'm a fixer. And part of the problem of being a fixer is, is in relationships sometimes, I'm not who other people need me to be. And so my wife is an incredible person. She's a second grade teacher. And if you've ever met a second grader, imagine being all day, every day in a room with 16 of them. That's her day. And so it's chaos. She's got an incredible school, an incredible support system, and she's got awesome kids, but put 16 of them in a room all day and somebody eventually is gonna, gonna lose it. And so she'll come home and she'll talk about her day and we'll kind of debrief our day and she'll talk about the good and she'll talk about the bad and she'll talk about this one problem she had. And as soon as she says that, I kind of go up and I'm like, I got an idea. I'm gonna tell her how to fix that. Anybody else do that? Anybody? If I'm the only one, like, that's okay. But I've got to believe someone else in the room also is like, I'm going to tell them the six ways that they could make their life better every time they give me anything that's going on. And we do this. And as soon as I kind of say it and I see her face of like, that's not what I needed from you. I didn't need you to fix this. I just needed you to listen. I'm like, oh man, keep your mouth shut. And we've laughed about different things and, we've, and, and some of this is more lighthearted. But what if when true genuine chaos takes place, what if when things happen in our lives, our first response wasn't to fix it like I'm talking about. Our first response wasn't like these guys where we just point the finger. What if the first response every time is, God, what would you have me do? God, do you want me to go after this? God, do you want me to speak into this or do you want me to just listen? What if we all were more like David and we just turned to God and said, God, what would you have me do? What would it look like for us to just in the lowest moments of life, if we didn't try to solve the problem ourselves and we humbled ourselves before the Father, and we said, God, this is bigger than me. My family's gone. God, this is bigger than me. And put in whatever it is that is your situation of life, Finances are tight, the relationships are broken, the, the health thing, the whatever. God, what would you have me do? So the first thing is, what if, well, what if we stop blaming people? The second thing is in a season of stress, what if we just turn to God? And the third thing that is a takeaway from me is just a question. Third thing is, are you willing to go after it? Are you willing to go after it? They show up, their families are gone. They all just kind of sit around and they all just kind of complain, want to kill David. And David comes to him and I just made like William Wallace reference a minute ago. Like, I really do believe that it had to have been this just rallying cry moment where he gathers the men together and says, fellas, if we want our families back, then let's go get them, Right? They're gone. Let's do whatever is possible. 
to chase it down, to go after it and to get it back. And my question for you today is, is what do you need to chase down? What is it in your life that you need to go after? What's the thing that you've given up on? What's the thing that you're not putting a ton of effort into? What's the place in your life that you're just kind of floating through, scraping by, not giving a ton of effort that you need to right now recognize? I need to, with chaos and with just 100% of my effort, go after it. For some of you, maybe it is your marriage. Some of you, you lay in bed next to just about a complete stranger every night, each of you on your phone, not really talking. You roll over and you may reach over and say, goodnight, I love you, and you may not. But if you remember back, and for some of you, it's been more recent, for some of you, it's been a while. But if you remember back to when you used to date, men, you used to clean your car out, right? Like you used to would get all the stuff out. You used to make sure it didn't smell like nasty old McDonald's. You used to would actually shower before you spent time with your, at that point, girlfriend, now wife, right? You wanted to make sure like she got a clean vehicle to get in, that you smell good, that you look good. You would put effort in to make sure that the date was perfect. You got a reservation. Girls, you remember what it used to be like? You do everything to make him feel special and loved and that he was the center of your attention. And you'd shower, and you'd get dressed up, and you'd want everything to be focused on him. And here's what can happen. Here's, here's how the enemy's really, really good at breaking up marriages. I don't know if you know this, and I'm sure you do. Divorce is at an all-time high right now because people were stuck at home together. They realized that they didn't know how to do life together. And here's what I would say. If you're sitting there, pointing the finger, waiting on them to fix this, or them to change that, or if, they'd, if she'd just clean up the house, or if she'd just put her phone away and get off social media and pay more attention to me, if you're sitting there, if he'd just stop watching as much football, if he'd just stop going every Saturday to the golf course, if he'd... Whatever it is, what if you stop saying that and you just said, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna get on my knees first and pray to God. And then I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna chase my spouse with everything that's in me. I'm gonna go above and beyond to make them know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that they're the center of my world. Parents in the room, What's the broken relationship with one of your children? Or maybe flip that. Maybe you have a broken relationship with a parent. What if you stop sitting around waiting on them to come back and apologize? If you stop waiting on them to get over it or to fix it or to think politically the way you think or whatever it is that's divided you and you just said, I'm done with it. I'm gonna call them and I'm just gonna let them know, hey, I love you. Our past ain't perfect. We're not perfect now. There's brokenness in our family. There's brokenness in our relationship. But I'm your mom or I'm your dad or I'm your son or I'm your daughter. I just want you to know I love you. And it's not gonna be perfect, but just pursue the relationship. What's the dream that God birthed in your heart years ago? 
that you've just put on the back burner, giving excuse after excuse to not chase it. Ah, the timing's not right. How the finances wouldn't work out. Ah, we had kids. I'll have to do that later. We're so good at doing that. But what's the thing that God placed inside of you? A passion, a dream, a goal that you're scared to chase or you're making excuses not to chase. And I would say to you today that you have a God that loves you so much that he wants you to chase it. He wants you with everything that's inside of you to go after it, to pursue with all of your heart that dream that he placed there. And so my question to you today, church, is what do you need to chase down and take back? What do you need to go after? Is it a person? Is it a dream? Is it... Is it your future? Is it, is it your health? Is it your, your finances? Like, what is it that God is saying to you this morning? What do I need to chase down and take back? I gotta go get my marriage back. I gotta go get that relationship back. I gotta go get that dream. I believe for every single one of us, myself included, I've got a couple that as I've been preparing this week, I've just been writing things down. Dreams, relationships, and I'm like, I gotta go get it. And I'd say for every one of us in the room, if we tried really hard, we could come up with one thing, right? Like, this is what I need to chase down. I gotta stop pointing the finger. I gotta stop making excuses. And I gotta drop to my knees. And I say, God, you first. What do you want me to do? And then I'm gonna get up. And as much as it depends on me, I'm gonna go after it. Because here's the problem of Christians, myself included. We can sometimes get into this mentality that, man, God loves me so much. And if he really wanted me to have it, he's just gonna kind of drop it in my lap, right? I've thought that before, if I'm really honest with you. I've just thought like, man, if God really wanted me to have that, like he's just gonna give it to me. Like if, if he loves me as a son, well, I, I love my daughter and I'd give her anything. Well, that must be true of him to me. And there's some things that my daughter She's just got to figure out. She's in the stage right now where we're starting to learn to crawl. And so like, it's more of just like scooting, like army crawl everywhere, right? Like we haven't really figured out how to move our hands and feet and everything in unison to really get anywhere. But I'll see her and I'll see that she's over here on this side of the room and her toys over here on this side of the room. And I know she wants the toy, right? How easy would it be for me to just go pick up the toy and bring it to her? It'd be super easy. I can do that. I can walk over here. It's like four steps away and I can bring it over here. And it's going to take her like three and a half minutes to move the time that I just moved in three seconds. But is she ever going to learn? Is she ever going to grow? Is she ever going to develop if I just continue to do that? No, she's got to get on her elbows and on her knees and she's got to figure it out, right? I think sometimes God does the same for us. He could, he could absolutely move it over. If he wanted to, he could drop a million dollars in my lap right now. Lord, do that. <laughs> he could do it. He's God. But I think he loves me too much to do it. I really do. I think he wants me to have to get in the mud a little bit. I think he wants to have to ch me to chase it down because I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna grow. And as I do it, I'm gonna get better. There's a, there's a whole nother sermon that I've kind of wrote in here 
about the 200 guys that got halfway and stopped. How heartbreaking is that? I can't even imagine if my family was gone getting to a point where I'm just like, I'm too tired to continue. Like, I think my body would just like, I'd die. Like, I'd just continue to run until I absolutely just died right there in the dirt from the pursuit. And how devastating that 200 of them started going and got tired and stopped. And here's what I'd encourage you. Don't stop. Don't stop chasing. There's gonna be days where you have completely just freaked your spouse out because they're like, why is he acting this way? Why is she being so nice to me? We've been fighting for six months now. What changed? And there's gonna be a day where it's just awful. Don't stop. You got a dream and you're gonna chase it and you're gonna hit a big bump in the road. And it may not even be a bump. It may be like the Grand Canyon is in the way. I have no idea. Don't stop. Figure it out. Climb down, go across, climb up, go around, do whatever. Keep going. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be perfect. Don't be one of the 200. That breaks my heart. It's their wives, it's their kids, and they stopped. Don't give up. So today, what do you gotta do? What do you gotta chase? Where do you gotta stop pointing fingers? Where do you need to drop to your knees and turn to God first and not try to fix it? And what do you need to, with reckless abandonment, go after? With every head bowed, every eye closed, first and foremost, I wanna invite anybody in the room not in a relationship with Jesus to enter into. It's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. So today, if you're in the room and you say, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a savior and I want Jesus to come and be the Lord and savior of my life, I just want you to lift your hand real quick and then you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. The second thing is, is I want every person that's in the room watching online or may listen to a podcast in the future to answer the question, what is it that I need to chase? I think if we try really hard, each and every one of us could come up with something, maybe some of us multiples, but what is it that I need to chase? And then I want you to go and I want you to do it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. God, you hung on the cross doing so for us. And I'm so thankful for it. And so God, today, whether they lifted their hand or not, anybody that's in the room today that says, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I want you to come and be the Lord and savior of my life. God, scripture tells us that all of heaven's gonna celebrate when just one does that. And so God, I just thank you for anybody that in their heart is making that decision today. And now God, I pray for all of us that we'd stop pointing the finger, that we'd stop playing the blame game, that we would go to you first, turn to God first. And then God, I pray with every ounce of our being, God, that we would chase what it is that you'd have us chase, whether it's relationship, dreams, goals, passion, mental health, physical health, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would chase it with all of our heart and we would not give up. God, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. In your name I pray, amen. 
Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.